John chapter 13 is our sermon text this morning. John 13, we're going to look at the first 20 verses of John 13. Don't be nervous that in our one and two verse at a time walk through Colossians. I'm taking the same approach to this 20 verse section. I'm, I'm not. We're going we're gonna to look at a couple of the verses that are important as we move through, but we're, we're not going to spend a crazy amount of time doing it. But I want you to turn in your copy of the scriptures, scroll in your phone app, open up to page 10 in your worship guide. There is the text of scripture out there for you to see. John chapter 13, we'll read in just a minute. But it was 13 years. It took me 13 years. I am very ashamed to say that it took me 13 years of marriage before I put a ring of toilet bowl cleaner around the inside of our toilet bowl and scrubbed. Thankfully, you know that Alicia's patient and kind. We've been married for 15 years, so reform has happened, and she's an amazing, amazing, amazing wife. But I, I, I confess this to my shame, right? It took me 13 years before it dawned on me that the dirtiest place of our house wasn't just magically clean. I come in and it's, it's very clean and I, I don't compute and think, oh, hey, that has to happen. I, I need to contribute and do that. Now, I, I would have never said that any particular cleaning role was someone's assignment, ever, ever, ever. But practically, I never took responsibility for it either. Conveniently, the filthiest part of caring for our home wasn't on my radar. I would have said, I'm big picture, right? I'm not day to day. I'll take care of the, 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 the big stuff. I would have never said that as a leader, I didn't have to do the dirty tasks. But practically, I never took responsibility. I knew for the first 13 years of our marriage that I was called to love my wife like Jesus loves his church. I just preferred to see that love in terms of provision or leadership or direction, big picture things, far less often in sacrifice and service. In John 13, Jesus has a very stern rebuke for my thinking in the first 13 years of our marriage. In John 13, we, we get this both picture from Jesus and this command from Jesus that if we are those who are going to lead and care, then we are going to be those who take up the servant's towel. Leaders are going to be those who sacrifice and who give. I think it's helpful for us, and, and I mentioned this last week, but we're in conversations with a couple of other churches that, that are interested in merging and partnering together with us as a church body and them coming and, and joining here and us forming one new church together. And so all of the excitement and opportunity, and we've got, I'll mention later, a lunch plan for next week to stay after and get to know them better as they come over after their morning worship gatherings. But I want to look at a text like this because it'd be easy for us to go into something like that with, with lots of our preferences and lots of the way that we want to do things and lots of the way that we think church should be and lots of our own ideas of what it would look like for us in that partnership. And I want us to see the example of Jesus and the command of Jesus that he gives us to take up the servant's towel 
to consider ourselves the, the least of all, to open our hand on our, our preferences and to be the ones who are kneeling down and washing junk off of other people's feet. So my hope is that this text and, and what we'll look at over the next couple of weeks as we both have these conversations and then consider the word together was that we would be shaped into Jesus's image. And we just finished with Colossians 3, right? And in, in putting on, therefore, as beloved uh, holy ones chosen by God, compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and patience and forbearance and love and forgiveness. We, we have got all of that in mind, but I want to take us to the Gospels to see some of that in action. So that's what we're going to do in John 13 this morning. We're, we're finding Jesus in, in what is, for John, the, the closest thing to a, a Last Supper account. And, and if you think back to another gospel, right, to Luke's account, the Last Supper ends like any good family dinner ends in heated discussion. And it's the disciples volleying for position. The Last Supper ends in Luke's account with the disciples debating which of them will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Picture it, right? Jesus having just passed the bread of his body and the cup of his blood and promised redemption, these disciples turn and wonder which of them will have the, the biggest star in the heavenly walk of fame. Lord, let me be the one who sits at your right hand or at your left. Let me be the one who's closest to you. And so in Luke's account of the Last Supper, Jesus answers verbally. He says, a leader is the one who serves. He teaches. In John's account, Jesus answers with his actions. The disciples who are volleying, volleying for position, who's going to be in charge, what's going to happen, Jesus answers with his actions. So let's read together. We're going to read all 20 verses of John chapter 13. Well, stopping in the middle, stop at verse 20. But let's read these together. Again, they're in your worship guide if you need them on page 10. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured into a water basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, then you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we see this account from Jesus, as we receive your word with its authority and power, we pray that it would do the reorienting work of our lives to teach us and to correct us, to train us in righteousness. God, I pray that it would cause us to have open eyes for the low places that you would call us to, the places of service, the maybe forgotten places, the, the places behind the scenes, the places that um, would, would serve those who can, can by no means repay us. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to be so enamored with Jesus in his beauty and power and redemption that we would follow him obeying his command to do to others just as he has done to us in stooping down and washing our feet. We pray this with the expectation that the Spirit will work through the word this morning in Christ's name. Amen. If you've got your bulletin there, pages 10 and 11, you've got a, a space for an outline. And I'll, I'll try to emphasize it as we go through because I've got four things I want you to see as we move really mainly through the first part of this text in these first 11 verses. And then briefly there towards the end, we'll, we'll skip through verses 12 through 20. But the first thing to see, these first 11 verses, we see Jesus going to the low place of service. And there are four things that drive him there. And I'll give you these and then we'll work through them one by one. But Jesus goes to the low place of service to wash feet and he's driven by love. He's driven by leadership or authority. He's driven by mission, and he's driven by humility. Love, leadership, mission, and humility. The first one is love, and we see it in verse 1. It says, now, before the feast of Passover, when, catch this, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. John's gospel breaks down the first 11 chapters are the, the narrative of Jesus' ministry and then the last 12, from 12 to the end of the book, really focus in on the last few days of Jesus' earthly ministry to his resurrection. And so this is the time when it says Jesus knows that his, his hour has come. It's, it's coming close to the cross, the reason that he's in the world at this moment. He knows, it says, that he's ready to depart from the world to the Father. And then if you look at the end of verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John 13, 1 summarizes the entire earthly ministry of Jesus described here as loving his own. You to think about that for a second. Through that lens, all of what Jesus said and did from his incarnation from the manger in, in Bethlehem to his ascension and, and beyond, but in the gospel accounts, his resurrection and, and appearances to the disciples. All that Jesus did, he, he did because he loved his own. 
Because, as, as he said in other places in John's gospel, I've come to secure the, the sheep, right? I've, I've come to lay down my life as a ransom for God's people. But it says it here, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. So think about it for a moment. Every bit of, of condescension in taking on flesh in the glory and person of the second one of the Trinity, putting on this frail, feeble flesh that's as weak as our frail, feeble flesh and prone to sickness and prone to disease and prone to all the stuff that our body is prone to and God robing himself in that kind of flesh. Why did he do it? It's love. Every step of Jesus's obedience, every moment when he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin, why was he obedient to the Father? Why did he do exactly what he was supposed to do all of the time? It's love. Every drop of blood from being beaten was a shed of love. Every agonizing breath on the cross was an exhale of love. And in, in the resurrection, here's this victory cry, right? Love, love wins. Love will not be extinguished. So John can say all that Jesus did, all of his earthly ministry was loving his own. He loves them to the end. So what does that love look like as he begins to prepare for the cross? When he knows his hour is coming to depart, to go back to the Father, what does that preparation look like? What does love look like when he knows his hour is near? I want you to see in this text that love takes the lowest place. Love stoops down. Love is the servant who washes the dirt from between their toes, right? This is a gross job. Remember, we don't have to go into great detail, but we're not talking about folks who change their socks every day or wear you know, Air, Air, Air Force Ones in, in closed-toed shoes. We're not talking about people who walk on pavement where other cars are riding. We're talking about people who walk through muck and mire following animals and donkeys through dirty, mud, dusty streets. And so the lowest job that you could have when people were getting together for a meal was you would be the one who would wash the feet of those who come in to clean them as they gather together. What does love look like? Him loving them to the end. It looks like Jesus taking this lowest possible place of service such that they're appalled when he does it. Did you see that? Lord, you're washing my feet, Peter says. <laughs> Again, Peter going, you're mistaken, Jesus. You don't do this. Say, somebody else, please get in here and, and wash these feet. But Jesus is making that exact point. Here is the love of Jesus, God in flesh, glory incarnate. And he is the one who deserves the highest place, who deserves all of the honor, who deserves to be exalted. And what does he do? He humbles himself. He takes the lowest place, though he deserves the highest place. He takes the lowest. Love drives Jesus to take up the servant's towel for us. For us, even us. Right? As, as he washes these disciples' feet, the picture is, is Jesus sacrificing his self and his position for people who did not deserve it. For people who were not getting their feet washed because they had earned a, a free foot washing card, right? But, but, but for people who had done what they ought not do. For people who had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People who had rebelled. People like Judas who were currently in rebellion. 
I want you to see that as Jesus takes up the servant's towel for us, it's not because we were well put together. It's not because we're deserving. It's, it's because we stink. It's because we're dirty. It's because there's junk between our metaphorical toes, right? Love is what drives Jesus to cleanse us at his own cost. There was a pastor in Edinburgh and the 19th century, Charles Ross. He's got a book on John 13 to 17, and it's really, really good. It's called Inner Sanctuary. It's a devotional commentary of his sermons. Charles Ross says, and yet, what a wonderful truth is this. When we look at what we are, you catch that? He says, what an amazing truth it is to look at Jesus washing the disciples' feet, washing feet like our feet when we know who we are when we know we're undeserving. Ross, he goes on, he says, when we think of our sins and shortcomings, of our sinfulness and vileness, what a wonder that his love is not exhausted. But no, the love of Christ to his own knows no change. It is a golden chain without a single link missing. Those he has set his heart upon will never cease to bless. He will never cease to bless. And though we continually sin against him, provoke him to jealousy, yet he loves his own still. As we watch Jesus in John 13, go to the low place of service as love drives him. This love of Jesus isn't earned love. It isn't merited love. It isn't love that we receive because we're in a particular family or we have a certain heritage or we have obeyed well enough or we promise him that we will obey well enough in the future. The love of Christ is not earned. The love of Christ is received. And so if you put yourself in this scenario, right, we, we plop ourselves down with our dirty, sinful, smelly selves and by faith we say, Lord Jesus, wash me. Make me clean. Take out heart of rebellion and hate. Take out heart that loves sin more than it loves you and and renew and change me. And he does, not because we smell good and aren't dirty, but he does it because we stink. It's love that drives him to clean us. It's love that we don't deserve and, and don't merit and don't earn. It's, it's love that we've done nothing to get. And yet here Jesus stands up, wraps this towel around himself and says, let me do the dirtiest, stinkiest, lowest possible task. And why is he doing it? He's doing it because he loves us. That's why Christ came, right? This is the love that drives him to wash these feet. Look, look, keep reading. Then you see verse, verse three, it's love that drives him and it's love that's, that's motivating his, his, his leadership, the way he's exercising authority. Verse three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand, he knows that his hours come, the cross is coming, the empty tomb is coming, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rises from supper. We get a a picture of what's going on in Jesus's mind, these motivations that are causing him to rise and put on the towel. So I want you to follow the logic here. Jesus knows that the father has exalted him. He knows it. He's confident. He knows that God has given all power in heaven and on earth to him. He knows it. He's sure of it. Therefore, 
he rises to play the role of the lowest servant in society. Does that make any sense to you naturally? Here is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one who says, I know that all power in heaven and on earth is in my grasp. Now, where's the basin? Give me them feet, Peter. Where's, where's the towel? Let me, let me do the grossest thing. I want you to follow that logic for a second. God put all things under Christ's feet. And so here the all-powerful king stoops down to wash crusty donkey dung particles and dust from his disciples' feet. Jesus is demonstrating the proper direction of power for his people. People who have influence, people who have authority, people who have a, a place of, of leadership are not to be elevated, but to make ourselves low. We don't use our influence to be served. We use our influence to serve. Jesus takes up the servant's towel and shows us that each of us who has any level of influence over our children or our coworkers or our neighbors or in, in our home, any any level of influence that we have is not influence that we would use to, to gain for ourselves, but to give for others. Here is the one who says, I am the reason, Colossians 1, that everything that exists, exists. Here, Colossians 1 said, is Jesus for whom and through whom all things come into existence it's for him that everything breathes and moves. And it's this Jesus knowing that God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth, all power. He uses it to wash feet. He uses it to take the lowest place of service. Any influence that we have, any desire for our name to be great should be a desire that we would make the name of Jesus great in the way that we follow him to the lowest place. In the way that we eagerly take up the lowest place of service. So it's love that drives him. It's leadership that drives him. Second, mission drives him. Look at this, this last phrase of verse 3 again in your copy of the scriptures. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. Jesus, living in this, this confidence that, that God had sent him and that he was returning to the Father. It's a sense of mission that, that drives him then to stoop down and to serve his disciples in the lowest place with this assurance that he was sent for this very reason. This, this confidence that this is his mission. And having accomplished the work that he was sent to do, he was going back to the glory and presence that he had before with his Father. John 17, he prays for that very thing. And so this knowledge of, of sentness is sustaining. I'll say that again with less syllables and emphasis, right? This knowledge of sentness, this mission is, is sustaining. Jesus knows he's not here on his own. He is sent by the Father. He is supported by the Father and the Spirit to carry out this work. And as you realize this in the text, I hope you see how your own sentness, your own mission is, is sustaining. When we get discouraged that we're not seeing more fruit in relationships that we've built for the sake of the gospel. When we're frustrated because we don't see gospel fruit in the way that we want to in, in our, our, our work among our, our co-workers. 
Maybe the, the sense of, of, of confidence and mission is exactly what we need to, to persevere through that kind of frustration. You need to know that, that you walk day in and day out on the mission of spreading Jesus' fame and love because he's called you to that. If you're in Christ, you're called to that mission, to spreading this news of who Jesus is, and we are not alone in that. As he tells the disciples in Matthew 28, right, in, in the Great Commission, I'm, I'm with you, always, even to the ends of the earth. He sends them with this built-in realization, you're not doing this in your strength, and you're not doing this as unsupported missionaries, you're, you're doing this as a people who are sent and supported and who are sustained. And so the sustaining power of, of mission, it supports us in difficult seasons because it reminds us we're not supplied by our own strength. Our sender is powerful and he's determined to see us to be faithful and to be fruitful. And so Jesus, driven by this mission, gives us this example that we carry on and continue because he sent us to do this work. And we can be confident of it. Lastly, the entire section of verse, verses 4 through 11 demonstrates the, the drive of, of humility here. We'll, we'll read it read it briefly. Here he is. He, he rises from supper, verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments. He takes the towel. He ties it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And we'll pause and and we can read more of Peter's conversation later. But I want you to see the humility of God in flesh, rising and taking the servant's towel, doing the lowest task, accomplishing what he didn't need to be doing, but was driven to do out of love, out of this right exercise of authority, out of this sense of mission, and he's doing it all in great humility. Up, up pastor from the 20th century in Philadelphia, James Boyce, points out in his commentary on this section that the humble act of washing feet is actually a picture of the whole of Jesus's incarnation. And he makes some helpful connections here. Listen, he says, Jesus rises from supper just as he rose from his heavenly throne in taking on flesh. He laid aside his outer garments just as Paul says he emptied himself of his former glory to be found in human form. He took up the servant's towel just as he took the form of an obedient servant, even to the point of death. He poured water into the bowl and began to wash the disciples' feet. As Boyce says, just in a few short hours, he was to pour out his blood for the washing away of human sin by the atonement. Even down to verse 12, Christ put on his outer garments and resumed his place after he had finished washing feet in the same way that after the cross and resurrection, he ascends to resume his place of honor, having all things subjected to him. Now, Peter didn't get the whole picture. Peter didn't understand, but he knew that this was a remarkable thing that Jesus was doing. And once he understood the significance of being washed clean by Jesus, what does he say? Well, then not just my feet, but please, like, go all out, Jesus. Wash all of me, says, then, then my head and, and, and my hands also, right? If, if that's what you're doing, then please cleanse all of me, Peter says. The love, the power, the mission, the humility of Jesus are on display. They're directed here at the cleansing of his people. At our forgiveness. At our atonement. These are not abstract realities or truths or, or, or just 
maxims for how Jesus lived. This is Jesus's love, his power, his mission, his humility, all directed at the glory of God in the full redemption of us as his people. He's cleaning feet as a picture of the work that he's going to accomplish on the cross. We're cleaning our dirtiest, unspeakable sins and things from our past, our present, and our future to present us spotless before a holy God without blemish, without issue, without dirt on us. He's showing how he'll love us to the end, even though in this account we see him referencing Judas, those who would betray him and those who would run from him. How he'll love them by sacrifice to wash their filth and scum and make them whole and clean and ready for God. Jesus stoops to wash these feet to demonstrate to you and me 2,000 years later that he's come to change us and make us new. That he's come to accomplish what we could not do to make ourselves right with God. And he's done it not because we deserved it, not because we have earned it, not because we have done anything to impress him. He simply gets up and cleans. He picks up to do the dirtiest task. He heads, the illustration for us would be, he heads straight for the bathroom with the cleaning supplies. And he goes to town and he cleans away. But the picture for the disciples is, this is something I, I, I did not think to do. This is something I didn't necessarily know that I needed to pick up and do. I certainly don't want my, my master to do this, my Lord and my teacher, the one who's in charge. I don't want the, the Messiah doing this. And so that's exactly what he does. He takes the lowest place of service. And he takes that low place of service as our redeemer. As the one who says, I will happily, gladly wash you and make you clean. And the only thing he requires of us is that we say, yeah, please, please do that. Please, Jesus, make me clean. Please, Lord, I recognize, like Peter does, if, if, you're, if you're cleansing me, then cleanse all of me. And so we need to come like Peter and say, okay, Lord, if you're washing, you need to wash all of me. I, I repent of who I have been and what I have been and, and how I'm living for my own ends and my own selfishness. I need you to make me new from, from the very tip top of my head to the very tip of my toes. I need all of me clean. And he'll do it. He'll do it because he initiates. He begins. He rises from supper. He goes. He seeks them out. He, he does the work. He doesn't say, hey, will you come this far? I'll do the rest. Will you wash your left foot? I'll wash your right. Too often we've got this mistake about how the gospel works. We say, okay, if I just, if I just impress God with my obedience enough, then I can feel like I'm confidently forgiven. He doesn't want us to clean our feet up a little bit before we present them to him. He wants the real us with our anger, our frustration, our sin, our sadness. He wants the real us. And he redeems and cleanses the real us. And so we bring him our stink and we say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to clean me. I need you to make me new. And this picture that he gives of washing the disciples' feet is one of a willing, eager, able Jesus who says, yeah, I will. I will. All he requires is that we call on him. And so he will. As we keep reading, you look down to verse 12. I want us to see just briefly, Jesus's point wasn't just to clean their feet, right? Jesus's point is, is more than that. 
He was to commission them to go and do likewise. Jesus takes the lowest place and then y'all, he sends us to the lowest place too. I think there's a good bit of application for us. Jesus takes the servant towel, he sets the example and then he says, if you look at your text, he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You see how Jesus describes himself as Lord, as master, and as teacher, as, as, as rabbi, as the one who's in charge, the one who tells us what to do, and our response is, maybe. <laughs> our response is, yes, you have the authority to tell me what to do, right? He's our master. He has every right to send us. Jesus is not the nursery scheduler who's begging you, please take up another Sunday, please. We so desperately need you to change diapers. Jesus doesn't beg you to serve. He isn't pestering you to take the lowly place. He commands it. He commands all of his followers as Lord and as teacher. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I want you to see that through the reality of who Jesus is. If I then, the one through whom and for whom all things exist, if I then, the one possessing all authority in heaven and on earth, have scrubbed dirt crust from between your toes, you also ought to stoop down to serve one another in the lowest manner possible. If I then, the one who deserves in every way to be exalted, have so humbled myself and taken up the dirtiest, lowliest task, then you also ought to humble yourself and take up the dirtiest, lowest task. Jesus gives us the servant's towel to serve others in his name with his hands. He sends us to serve those who, who can't do for themselves. He sends us to serve those who, 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 who can give us nothing in return. And so if we're following Jesus, then we have signed up for, we've prepared for, we are eager to serve our saints and our neighbors however it's needed. And we're ready to take up the, the very lowest possible task in a society that, that, that markets convenience and ease, we are otherworldly as we inconvenience ourselves because of the joy that Jesus has given us. We are otherworldly as we're, as we're plugged into Jesus and his body and we sacrifice our time and our, our ease and our recreation and our, our resources to see that, that, that the body of Jesus and, and my neighbors have their needs met no matter what those needs are. This, again, I mentioned before, is a unique time for us as a church body considering partnership with other churches. And so as we talk and pray, and as the Lord is pleased to unite us with others, we want this kind of Jesus-loving, humble service to mark us. As we, as we dissolve ourselves into a new church, the, the parting gift I want to give us is going to be the servant's towel to say, as we have folks come and join us together, let's make sure that we are taking up the lowest possible task, not in any way saying, well, I need enough time on the platform, or I need to serve in the way I want to serve, or I need to do this thing I want to do, but willing to say, hey, whatever's necessary, right? Where's, where's the disgusting bathroom? Let me clean it. <laughs> Where are the feet that need to be washed? Let me, let me wash them. We want to follow Jesus with the servant's towel. We want to do the lowest task, right? What we're talking about over the next couple of weeks in, in, a, in a church merge here is, is not just people to come 
sit beside us in our church and to assimilate into our body life. We're talking about the combination and formation of a new church. And what that means is this won't look exactly like this church. It won't have the same style as this church. It won't have all the same idiosyncrasies of this church. And you know what that means. That means things are going to be a little different. People love different, right? Especially church folks. We love when things are different. No, right? So this picture of what Jesus gives us, this quickness to say, let me do the lowest thing. Let me take the seat at the back of the line where Jesus is. As we have a meal together, let me make sure everyone else has eaten before I have. Let me make sure that everyone else is, is taken care of. Let me be eager to be last in line, to be seated at the lowest place where, where Jesus is. And this is, you know, I, I'm just personally, I'm incredibly excited. I am thrilled. We're, we're meeting together for lunch um, with the pastors of the other two churches. And so we'll, we'll be hammering out some more good conversation and lining things up. And then we're ready to, to have lunch together, uh, both people and pastors all next Sunday. It's incredibly exciting and, and it's, it's nerve wracking, right? As I've talked to some of you guys, right? It's, oh, it's going to be different. Yeah, we believe it's going to be really good. And so as we prepare for that, we want to look at Jesus and say, all right, I want to come in with this mindset to serve. I want to come in ready to take up the lowest task. I want to come in ready to wash feet. And I'm not going to have all the answers, but I know that, that a key ingredient of this new cake of a church that we're baking, right? The, the chief among these ingredients, the, the flower of the cake is, is a servant's attitude, is a readiness to, to humbly do whatever's necessary. And the good thing about that is we're having this conversation, we're considering this with churches that are, hand in hand with us in matters of, of doctrine, mission, and vision. We all want the very same things. And so we're aligned in all of these core convictions. And then, then we work out all the, the cultural stuff that's different about us. But we're doing that from this conviction that, that all of us looking to Jesus and saying, he is our Lord and our teacher. He commands us. We want to be in his image. We want to serve. Now we just do the hard work of actually putting on the character of Christ. And so we're confident that the Lord will do that in our midst, but it's, it takes work, right? It takes looking around and saying, Where's, where, where can I use my servant's towel? Whose feet can I wash? Where can I follow Jesus in doing for others what he has done for me? Verse 15, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. A servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so we want to follow Jesus, taking up the servant's towel. And so as we pray, as we pray and have conversations over the next couple of weeks with these brothers and sisters and pastors from other churches, let's pray for opportunities to make ourselves low, to make ourselves servants, and to take up the towel Lord, we pray this morning as we conclude our time in the word that you would make us humble servants in the image of Christ. God, we pray that you would, as we mentioned before, that you would so impress us with who Jesus is, the one who is now and has been forever exalted above the nations, deserving of the praise of every mouth that breathes and, and every tongue that confesses, that that Christ would, would take the lowest place and would, would perform the tasks of a servant. 
God, we pray that you would form that Christ in us so that we would be known by um, our desire and eagerness to do whatever is necessary to glorify Jesus. To serve behind the scenes, to do the, the lowest things necessary to see that Jesus is treasured and enjoyed by his church. Father, work that humility in us, we pray. Open our eyes to see